Hello, my name is Victor and you're listening to the USC Christian Challenge Podcast. We do everything in life because it makes sense to us. Every decision that we make, every conversation we have, and every relationship that we interact with flows out of the way that we see the world and ourselves in it. And so for followers of Christ, the way that we see the world also impacts how we follow Him. So today, Neil opens up our series, Worldview, with a discussion on why truth must be objective in order for anything to make sense and how we can continue to shift and renew our basis of truth. having a better video than we have message and so uh you know be encouraged by that that'll be uh that'll be good for us well i'll tell you what not that uh, matt's prayer didn't take i'm sure it did uh but why don't we do this why don't we bow our heads for a minute and i'd like uh i'd like to simply pray for us again if we could and then we'll uh we'll get cranky on some things father um thank you uh, th- thanks for the talented people that uh, you've allowed to be a part of things, Father, that uh, can take um, concepts and can really bring them to life and can uh, remind us of, uh, of just uh, what we need to be thinking about and the things that are on your heart. Father, tonight, um, I would just uh, confess to you that I um, really would not want to mess up the things you'd want to say. So I pray that you would speak very clearly and very pointedly Um, tonight. I pray that, God, you would prepare our hearts ahead of time to uh, receive your word and to really internalize it and and, um, receive it for ourselves, to put it into practice. So, God, I pray you would do that. And I pray that you would give us greater understanding, even as... um, uh, in Luke 24, 45, where it says about your son that he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. I pray you would open up our minds tonight and help us to really understand the truth from your word. And we pray those things, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. So um, we're beginning a series a minute ago, and I'll tell you what, I was <clears throat> looking at the video thinking uh, Rondea is uh, much like her uncle, that uh, the original one, uh, and I thought, uh, yeah, kind of, a, kind of a scary thing there. Um, we're beginning a series tonight on worldview. Your worldview is simply this. Your worldview is how I understand the universe and myself in relationship to it, okay? That's kind of, you know, a, a basic definition of your worldview. It's how you understand the universe and yourself in relation to it. So everyone has a worldview. It's not like, you know, some people go, well, where do you pick that up? Is that at the bookstore? No, everyone has one already, okay? Now, what you want to do is you want to make sure that the worldview that you're operating out of is an accurate worldview, is is a biblical worldview. There's a foundational principle of life that one friend of mine coined years ago, and it's really true. He said, people do what makes sense to them. People do what makes sense to them. And and that's really true. Uh, The things we do every day, the reason we do those is it makes sense to us. For instance, you know, if you think about the way you treat other people, some of you today have had many interactions with people and some of them you probably chose to treat really well. Others you may have chose to, you know, not necessarily treat as well. And what you'll find is the reason you did that, that made sense to you. 
Others, they stepped into those relationships. They just chose today to treat everyone well. And the reason they did that was it made sense to them. You look at other things, you know, some people, um, they, um, they really take and they think of themselves first in about every decision they make. Others, when they think of making decisions, they think of how is this going to impact somebody else? Why do they do that? It makes sense to them. The thing that helps your decisions to make sense to you, the things that help your actions and your values to make sense to you is your worldview, how you see things. And so that's why worldview is so important. Worldview explains why we think the things we think. It explains why we do the things we do. And what we're going to do tonight is I want us to look at some things, some core beliefs and commitments that as we flesh those out, you'll kind of see how these build your worldview. We'll kind of see some of those. So here's one thing to remember. Ideas have consequences. Every idea has a consequence. Every, everything you think, every thought that goes through your mind, those have consequences. Now here's the problem. There's a lot of idea viruses that go along. You know, everybody's been so worried, you know, the last couple of years. By the way, if you have not heard, no Trojan check after Monday, Yes, yes. Um, but you know, I mean, honestly, here, here's the thing. There's lots of idea viruses that go around and those are passed along social media, billboards, movies, uh, friends. There's so many different ways that these uh, idea viruses kind of begin to spread amongst different people. And if you're not careful what you'll find, you'll find yourself thinking some things, you'll find yourself believing some things that you kind of look at it and you think, um, I'm, not sure that, I'm not sure that's really a healthy thing. And so you, you kind of begin to figure, okay, how do you combat those? How do you decide what ideas are true? How do you decide which ideas to trust? See, one of the things, if you're going to do that, you have to develop a worldview that accurately identifies and separates healthy ideas from unhealthy ideas and a worldview um, that is really gonna be the lens through which you look at the world. So you've gotta to begin to do that. Now here's how you can recognize some unhealthy idea viruses. Ide unhealthy idea viruses, <clears throat> excuse me, they really seek to convince us that love isn't real, that you look around and they're like, uh, you know, people don't really care. I mean, you know, love, love isn't real. That suffering is meaningless. If you look at so many uh, books, that, that, that their ultimate thing is life is meaningless, suffering is meaningless, why, why do we even do this? Um, unhealthy ones also have truth is unknowable. Like sometimes you'll say, well, you know, I think this is true. Well, you can't actually know that. Is that true? Or is, or is that not? You know, um, we are alone. You know, it's kind of like, you're just kind of here by yourself. Hope you make it. You know, it's not going to be, not going to be good. Life has no purpose. Over and over and over, unhealthy idea viruses will be, they'll begin to build a thought within you. Life is just meaningless. It's purposeless. There's nothing to it. And then lastly, there is no hope. If you take current ideology and you follow it through to its logical end, that is where you'll end up much of the time. You know, here, um, about a year ago, we were in a meeting amongst some of the directors around the campus and stuff, and one of the things that came up, they were saying, there's like 
about one person, at, this was in 2000 and, um, 2020, they said right then there was like an average of one person a month that took their own life here on the campus. Now, I mean, they don't really, you know, go around putting that on the front page each week or anything, you know. But they began to look at and they began to, you know, put some different programs out there. They began to look at all sorts of different things they could do where they could begin to talk about, you know, we need to help people with their mental state. We need to help with this. Well, what you find is, you know, and what they found as they began to do it was it goes much deeper than that. It's not just, you know, there's, there's uh, a few things that are mental life. It's their whole way of looking at life. It's their whole way of, of understanding the world. And, and if you don't have that, then life, life can really kind of close in on you. And, and it's not a good thing. So without an accurate worldview, you begin to buy in to many of those idea viruses. What you'll find is the Bible begins to speak to some of this. In fact, Paul in Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this. He says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. What you see is when Paul lays this verse out, he's talking to us about, guys, this right here is how you begin to build a worldview. And so a couple of things, three things that you see out of this. What, why does a biblical worldview matter? Well, the first thing is this. Our worldview sets us apart. It sets us apart. When Paul talks about this, he addresses two things. He says, you know, he addresses both our bodies and our minds. He says, I urge you that you would present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. But he says also, you need to be renewing your mind. You, in other words, you not only need to change the things you do, the way you act, but you need to change the things you think that are behind the way you act. Both of those need to change. We are to live a different kind of life. But, <clears throat> but equally important, we're to think differently. Your actions don't start with your actions. Your actions start with your thoughts. And so one of the things Paul starts off with, you know, he says he addresses both of those. So that's one of the reasons a worldview really matters. The second reason is this. Our worldview aids our transformation. Our worldview aids our transformation. As the verse also says, you know, um, do not be conformed to this world it's a word that it's there uh, in one translation, in the Phillips translation, it says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. It's, it's one of those things that what you find is the world is constantly trying to subtly pressure you into believing certain things, into adopting a certain worldview. And he says, don't let that happen. He said, but instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And what he says is, guys, don't let the world kind of subtly squeeze you into this mold that, that really isn't gonna take you anywhere ex except for you know despair. He said, but instead, let your mind be renewed. Begin to see things, as it were, from God's perspective. The third reason for biblical worldview matters is, you know, your worldview 
our worldview informs us on how to live and engage in what God is doing in the world. And he says that right there at the end. He says in Romans 12, 2 there, he says, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Now, I don't know about you, but um, for me, I like reminders of things, you know, like, you know, I'm one of those, maybe I'm a slow adapter, I don't know. But I'm one of those kind of guys that if I have reminders, then I can remember things. So that's one of the reasons I like that last part of that verse right there. When he says that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. As I walk around campus, a lot of times I see people wearing these shirts that remind me of that verse. You know, they'll, they'll have this, you know, these initials, you know, that you need to wear that's good and acceptable and perfect. They just put gap across there, but I know that's what they mean. I know that what they're really saying is, you know, you need to remember what the Word of God says, and you need to remember you need to be renewing your mind. So every time I walk across campus, I see one of those like, aha, aha, renew my mind. Yes, you know, and uh, yes. So I would encourage you, begin to think along this way. So what are the components of somebody's worldview? If you're thinking, you know, I'd like a worldview, where do you get one of those? Well, let me, let me talk to you about that. It's kind of like this. We have a diagram. Can you pop that diagram up there? There we go. Ah, look at that. You think it looks like Target. Uh, it almost does. If you right there in the very center of that diagram diagram, would simply put three things. One is this. Draw a picture of a little throne. Little throne right there. There you have that there. The secondly, an eye. Just a large eye. And the third thing, a large T. So you've got an eye, a T, and a throne. And what those are are simply the components that make up your worldview, my worldview. The first one, the throne is, you need to figure out who is really going to be sitting on the throne? Who's really gonna have dominion in your life? Who is gonna be sitting on the throne of your life? Making the calls, making the decisions in your life each and every day. What you'll find is this, everything in your life and the outcome of your life is contingent upon the answer to that question. As you look, you find, you know, now, when we are thinking about our lives, we think, well, don't we make the calls? Well, you make some calls, but you know what you need to do? You need to figure out, okay, on an ongoing day-by-day, moment-by-moment basis, who is going to really be the boss of your life? Who is really going to be in charge of your life? Who is it that you're going to, you know, if you decide, you know, I think I want to go left, but, you know, this person says, right, you are like, right, that's where I am. Now, to that end, Eric's going to pick up on that next week, and he's going to talk about the throne of your life, so you can wait and hear that from him. But what I would tell you is this, a huge factor in your worldview, you've got to develop, you know, who's going to really be on the throne of your life? Who's going to really be in charge? The second area is just the area of identity. And identity is who do you really see yourself to be? Who are you at the core that's really your identity. Over and over, you'll find you know, that your identity can be derived from a multiplicity of, of different sources, most exceedingly deficient, by the way. What you'll find is a lot of people, you know, they, they look to um, this achievement, they look to this address, they look to this accomplishment, they look to all sorts of things to, to define themselves, to, to really give them an identity. In a couple of weeks, Ian's going to be talking about that, and he'll kind of flesh that out for you. 
So what I would like us to do in the rest of our time here tonight is kind of spend our time on the third aspect of that. And the T in that is truth. Truth. Truth or the lack thereof will in large measure decide the final outcomes on those first two as well. The way you look at truth and what you see as truth will really help to define your identity. The way you look at truth and what you really see as truth will help you, in fact, ultimately will decide for you who's really going to be on the throne of your life. So those three compose your worldview. And then what you'll see is this. They don't just stay in that center circle, but what they do is they begin to kind of permeate their way out. And in that second circle right there, if you wrote values, what you'll find is this. Your worldview moves out and it begins to impact and give you a certain set of values. The reason some people treat people differently that we talked about earlier is because you know what? They have the values that make sense to them. The reason some people kind of see people as objects or projects and just kind of, you know, you know, work around them or work over them or something, it's because they don't have those same values. Values move out from, values arise from your worldview. And what you'll also find is this, that outer circle right there, that outer circle really is your behavior. Your behavior comes from your values, which come from your worldview. So your worldview's in the center, it begins to move out, it becomes your values, and your values really end up reflecting and defining what your behavior's gonna be. That's why in Romans 12, 1 and 2, when Paul's talking, that's one of the reasons why he says, do not be conformed to this world. It, it's a word there. One of the things that he's trying to get across, they, had, they used to have actors in, um, in the time that uh, Paul's writing this. They would have actors and they would put on different plays. And they didn't have a whole host of actors. You know, they had many parts, but they had few actors. And so somebody would take and they would take this mask and they'd put it up and they'd play this part. And then they'd go to play another part and they'd put that down and they'd pick up this mask and they'd play this part. And what Paul is saying there, don't play the part. Don't just be this person over here and then be this person over here. Don't just conform like that. Don't just, you know, fit into this and then fit into this. He says, don't do that. But he says, instead, be transformed. And the word is metamorphi in the Greek. It's a word it means, where we get our word metamorphosis from, it means to be changed from the inside out. So here's what you're going to find. If you really want change in your life and you'd really like to see God do some things in your life that are really transformative, it doesn't begin in the realm of behavior. Sometimes people try to just, well, I'll just change what I'm doing here. I'll just change what I'm doing there. Well, you can do that, but all you'll be doing is just conforming in some things. If you really want to be transformed, then what you find is that comes from what Paul says there. He says, by the renewing of your mind, you begin to change the way you look at your identity. You begin to change the way you look at truth. You begin to change the way that you live in who's going to really sit on the throne of your life. All of those begin to change. And then it's just like a ripple effect. It moves its way out from there. You find yourself really being transformed. So let's, let, let me kind of give you an example a little bit about how, 
how that would work with something. Let's say, let's say you have a kind of a, more of a secular mindset or more of an atheistic mindset. So how would you view truth? What do you, what do you think? Science. Hmm? Science. Science, yeah. Truth, science. Others? Culture, yeah. Truth, truth is relative for the most part. Kind of like, you know, you ever heard someone say this? Well, now that may be true for you, but not, you see, you're like, really? You know, yeah, gravity is one of those things. It's true for me, but not for you, you know? Step off the building, find out. You know, what you find out is, you know, oh no, you know, true happens to be true for everybody. It's just true. You know, and, and so, you know, what you begin to find, though, uh, a person that has a secular mindset, a person that has an atheistic mindset, they wouldn't think that way. They think, no, no, it's, it's, it's all relative. It's, it's not absolute. It, it doesn't deal that way. How would uh, that person begin to look at identity? What do you think? Based on feelings. Based on feelings? Based on feeling? A lot of it. Based on? Yeah, based on stuff they can prove. In other words, a lot of times... What can you achieve? I mean, if you can achieve this and that, man, you've got this identity that's all great. You know, if you can uh, arrive at this place, oh my gosh, you know, you have such an identity. I mean, but you also see that their view, as they look at that, they're thinking, we kind of got here with just, you know, this accidental, you know, morphine of different things from ooze and stuff, and we just kind of grew up out of it. So, Honestly, we're just kind of here by accident. And so, really, you know, your identity, you're kind of like a nice accident, but you're just an accident. And, you know, so just whatever you can get out of life, live for the moment. I mean, that's where it is right there. It's just, that's what you're about. What do you think they would think about who's in charge of their life? Self. So, yeah. I'm in charge. I'll call all the shots. I'll do what I think makes me feel good. How do you think that would impact values? Selfish. Selfish, yeah. What's in it for me? After all, you know, one of these days I'm just going to die and then it's all over and, you know, so, yeah, all about me. How do you think that works its way out into behavior? Probably have a really good golf game. Uh, you know, probably, you know, just, you know, quite. Why not? Uh, you know, just go. You would just sit there. What you'd find is probably giving their lives a lot to maybe some kind of achievement, but giving their lives a lot to just pleasure. What do I feel pleasure with? Is this going to be pleasurable? I'll do it. I'll just do this or I'll do that. That's how they live. Now, on the flip side, let's say someone has a different worldview. Let's say they're coming from a Christian background. Now, what you're going to find is this. And some of you are sitting there thinking this probably as you're thinking, you're thinking, hmm, some of those thoughts seem strangely familiar to me. I think the guy next to me thinks some of those things, you know, I mean, I mean, maybe so. I mean, not that I would, but I mean, I think, you know, some of these other people. What you'll find is a lot of people that would call themselves followers of Christ need to think through some of that stuff because what they find is they've adopted very much of a, of a atheistic or kind of a secular worldview. And so you want to really think through it. Now, how do you think a Christian would begin to answer a question like, um, say, identity? Christ. 
In Christ? Okay. Yeah. Same. Made in the image of God. Yeah, that would be a, you know, that would be a big part of identity. What do you think they would think as far as, as um, truth? Absolute. absolute. You know, that there are absolute truths. There are some things that go on. Yeah. How do you think they would approach the idea of throne? Now, I mean, not the person next to you, but you, you know, because this is where you shine. You know, I mean, this is... How would you approach that, you know, who would really be in charge or something? God. Yeah, that'd be kind of, I mean, if you're kind of thinking, you know, hey, yeah, we're made in his image. He's a, he's the one in charge. He's the one that made things. That would begin to make sense. What kind of things would you value that would be different? People. People, yeah. People. You wouldn't just see people as kind of like, those are the ones that are kind of in front of me in the line that need to get out of the way so that I can get to the front, you know. And those are the people that are behind the line that are not working as fast as I need them to to serve me, you know. Yeah. So you begin to see people differently. What else would you value? The other things you'd value? What pleases him? What pleases him? Yeah. Kind of the things that are on God's heart. Those, those are very different a lot of times than the things that are in the world and on the world's heart. How do you think that would begin or how should that begin to work its way out in behavior? Patience. Patience? Yeah. Patience would be a huge one. Love. Yeah. It would be a very huge one. Well, here's what I want us to do. In the remainder of our time, we're going to look at this one aspect tonight, truth. And what I want you to do, and <clears throat> I hope I can help you. <clears throat> excuse me. Oh, hey. I hope I can help you to, uh, to see a few things here. But I want us to look at truth and, and begin to start the conversation of how do you get your hands wrapped around the concept of truth. So truth is this. Truth is that which is in accordance with reality. That which is in accordance with reality. You know, if, if I define something for you and it, you're sitting there going, you know, that is so not true. Like if I come up and I say, hey, guys, new truth. The sun rises in the West. You're going to go, cool. And then you go home and you're like, it seems to still be coming up over in the east. I mean, uh, what? You're like, yeah, that must not be true, huh? Because truth is in line with reality. And, and, and you want to be aware of that. What you're going to find is this. There is an objective truth or truth, or the, probably a better way to say that. Is there objective truth or is truth subject to our identity and our experience? in what we bring to that truth. Now, one of the things that directly impacts us in this regard, as we try to figure out how do we sort through truth and how do we sort through um, what we need to really have in our worldview is we have an enemy as we try to walk with God every day. And one of the things the enemy tries to do is he tries to get us believing different lies pursuing different lies, going after different lies. 
And one of the things Jesus said about him is this. In John 8, 44, he said, speaking of Satan, he says, there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So what you see is that when you come to Christ, when you begin to walk with him, one of the things you do is you step into the light of the truth. And to follow him is to live in the truth, to begin to live with him himself. Francis Schaeffer said this, he said, we need to distinguish the content of truth, that is what statements are true, from the concept of truth, what truth is. Because our view of truth itself shapes everything about us. And that's really true. Our view of truth itself shapes everything. Dallas Willard, one of the guys that used to teach here, he said this. This is a great quote. He said, We must keep in mind that truth and reality are not in themselves pluralistic. That is the rejection of social force to suppress divergent opinions or practices. If your gas tank is empty, social acceptance of your right to believe that it is full will not help you to get your car to run. Everything is exactly what it is. You can develop cultural traditions, vote, wish, whatever you please, but that will not change a thing. Truth and reality, this is a key sentence right here, men and women, and I would encourage you to write this down. Truth and reality do not adapt to us. It is up to us to adapt to them. Truth reveals reality, and reality can be described as what humans run into when we are wrong, a collision in which we always lose. He is exactly right. What you'll find is this. The way God has created the world, he has created reality in such a way that you can align your life with it, and as you go through life, life's good. Or you can choose and say, you know what? No, I think... Life works this way, and you go opposed to reality, and you run into reality over and over, and it's painful. Now, some of you have found that out. You know, some of you have found that, you know, you've tried to, you know, just make up your mind, you know, like, well, you know, I know we should probably treat people this way, but I'm just going to treat people this way. And then you find out, wow, they have bad things to say about me. I mean, they were questioning whether my parents were married when they had me, and they were calling me all sorts of names, you know, and you're like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why is that? Well, you've just run into reality because you weren't lining up with it, you know. And what you need to do is you need to learn to begin to figure out what, what is truth really about. The biggest dividing point for people when it comes to the issue of truth is the starting point. In other words, do you start with God or do you start with man at the starting point? Now, what you find is this. The Bible identifies truth as a quality that's intrinsic in the nature of God himself. Jesus said this in, in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not a way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And what you'll find is, you know, what he's saying is that, you know, when people believe in God as their ultimate source of truth, then what they do is they depend on what he thinks and they depend on kind of his, the way he uh, talks, his revelation of himself 
to begin to define more of reality for them. So where can you find that today? You know, if you're thinking, you know, well, what does God have to say on something like that? That's where the Bible really comes in handy. What you'll find is with the Bible, the Bible does two things. One, it explain, it gives us a way to explain what is going on around us. Um, like I'll give you, a, I'll give you a couple of examples on that. Some of you are not married. Let me give you a heads up for when you are. In fact, most of you are not married. Let me tell you. There's a few verses, many of them in Proverbs, that will be really helpful to you. Like, um, there's a verse in Proverbs 15.1. It says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word, not a harsh words, no, just one. A harsh word stirs up a quarrel. And you're like, hmm. Now, you can look at that at your seat and go, I don't know about that. I can tell you. Let me tell you, that's true. Like, you know, sometimes I will be tired or just basically being me, irritable. And uh, I can be there. And my wife can come in and she can say something to me. And then I have a choice. I can, you know, have a soft answer. Or I can be like, me, 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 me. Now, what I find in the second one, that if I just say something kind of snotty, um, she doesn't go, my, I'm amused by that. Could you say more? Let me sit down here. Um, oh, no, no, no. It tends to stir up a quarrel. You know why? Because the Bible really is true. I mean, it defines reality as it really is. There was a guy that lived over in Parkside here one day, and he used to come to challenge. And every time he would come to challenge, he would come in, and like I would be speaking, or one of the other guys would be speaking. He would come up to me, like after I spoke, and he'd go, I don't believe it. I said, What? He goes, I don't believe what you said. I said, Okay. And he said, I just don't believe it. I said, Okay. He goes, I don't believe in God. I said, I knew that. And he said, <laughs> Okay. He said, And so therefore, I don't believe what you said. I said, Okay. He said, I'll see you next week. All right, and so then he'd leave and I'd leave. And then we'd come in the next week and it was like, same song, second verse. And we'd do that week after week after week, you know. And so one day he gets into some trouble over there, uh, some things, you know, depending on whose side of the story, you know, wasn't his fault. But he gets into some trouble and I'm over there with this friend of mine and we're walking through there and we bump into him and he's like, he's so upset, he goes, how could God let this happen to me? I said, you don't believe in God. He goes, whatever. Uh, how could he let this happen to me? And I said, um, you know, and we began to talk about some stuff right there. And he, you know, he was all upset. And he's running up to go tell one of the other uh, RAs that was there about how unjust things were. And so he was leaving. And my friend that's right next to me goes, Proverbs 19.6. And I said, what? He goes, a man's own folly ruins his life, yet his heart rages against the Lord. And I thought, bingo. Boy, that is exactly right. What you'll find when you get, begin to get into the scriptures, the scriptures really define life like it is. Moreover, what you'll find is they really begin to define you like you are. You look in there and you think, wow, that's true, you know? And what you find as you go through life is it's not only true, it's real. 
See, sometimes we kind of differentiate those. Like true, you know, we kind of think true's things like, uh, you know, was George Washington the first president of the U.S.? Yeah. Does that make a difference to my everyday life? Not that much. Not that much. If you're not careful, you'll think the same thing about the Bible. You'll think, oh, it's true. Well, does it make a difference in my life? Not that much. What you find is it makes a huge difference. It makes a huge difference. And so you want to see that. Three keys. Three keys to biblical truth that I would tell you. The first is this. It is grounded in God's existence and character and God's creation and revelation. See, unlike the Greek theory of truth that they had at one time, that that was truth that originated with man versus originating with God himself. And for them, the polis or kind of the city-state decided what was true. If they decided it was true, it was true. But with God, he decides what's true. He decides what reality is. And that's what he tells us in his word. And the second thing, second key, it relates to history and can be verified at various points. See, like, you know, you look in the truth of Scripture, and the Scripture says something like this. Okay, um, Jesus died, and then he rose again. And then you start looking, and you look in history, and you look at, at history from not Christian writers, not from the Bible, not from some source like that, but if you look at history writers that were just your basic secular, they would report that, you know, there were many folks, like over 500 folks, that reported seeing him alive after we saw him dead. How did that happen? So what you find is it's verifiable in different points in history. The third thing, it involves the whole person and demands choice and commitment. See, that's where biblical truth is very contrary to moral relativistic truth. What you'll find is biblical truth really calls upon us, you know, what are you going to do with this? It makes a difference in your life. In John 3.21, he says this, He who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested to having been wrought in God. In other words, those that choose to walk in truth, what they do is they walk into the light. And what that does is that brings clarity on all that's going on right there. What you find is to walk in darkness, that's to continue to live in the lies that you have gotten from the enemy, the lies you've picked up here and there. When you walk in the truth, you walk in the truth of what God's word says, and it kind of opens all that up. If you're walking in the darkness, it not only messes up your growth, it messes up your fellowship with other people too, because you're living out of things that are not true. So all of that has to change. Lasting transformation really begins with you changing your worldview. You beginning to look in and figuring, okay, where is my identity coming from? Who's really sitting on the throne of my life? What am I really accepting as truth? Where do those things come from? That will result in values and behavior. So if you really want to change, if you really want to see, you know, God do some things in your life, then what you do, you work on that inner circle. You work on the inner circle and allow the way you see the world, allow the way that you see things to line up with reality. 
to really be based on truth. And you'll find your identity, you know, that's not something you have to achieve. It's something you receive. You'll, you'll, look, you'll look at the throne of your life and you'll think, that makes sense. Who should be calling the shots in my life? But all of that starts with your worldview. So as we look at that over the next couple of weeks in this series, I hope that what you'll do is I hope you'll really wrestle with some of these things. I hope that you will step in. You'll begin to look at, you know, each one of these categories. And then you'll ask yourself, you know, okay, what do I really believe in this regard? And based on what? And as you begin to base it on truth, that's, you know, trustworthy, verifiable, take it to the bank truth. As you begin to base it on that, then all of life begins to take on a different focus. All of life begins to take on much more meaning. Does that make sense? Well, let me welcome the worship team back up here. Let me pray for us and then we'll do that. Father, Thank you that you've given us your word. Father, you said in Proverbs 35, every word of God is tested. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. And that is so true, Father. We, uh, we know that uh, we can trust you. And we know that, um, God, your word is trustworthy. So, Father, it, it, it's not trustworthy simply because, you know, it, it's some book. It's trustworthy because you have inspired that, you have given that to us so that we could know you and we could know your heart and we could know exactly your purpose and plan for our life. So help us to be wise enough to really dig into this stuff, to really think it through, to really um, live it out each day in our lives. And we pray those things, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the USC Christian Challenge podcast. You can find us on your favorite podcast platforms such as Spotify and Apple Music, even Amazon Music if you're so inclined that way. And you can also leave us a review so we can help get these resources into the hands of other people. We recorded this episode on a Thursday night gathering at the University of Southern California, and we'd love for you to join us if you're around the area. So get involved and find out more at USC Challenge on Instagram and on our website, uscchristianchallenge.com.